Digital Jesus. Digital Jesus. Digital explains everything about the persecution that we're under, the enslavement that the digital system has used to do it, filling us full of information and false data through the narrative, through the government, social media, through the shillers, through certain people that have been given access, have been allowed to have an opinion, right, out in the mainstream and make us believe that we still have an opinion. And the whole digital revolution has been about taking our voice away from us because we they can attack our spirituality. They want to isolate us, separate us. They want to break us down, keep us apart from each other. And then, of course, you've got Jesus, which is the spiritual solution. Whatever your belief system is, please come with me on this journey. Now, the whole agenda, the Satanist agenda, is to deviate us from our spiritual journey. And the whole agenda of Jesus is to take us to our spiritual journey. The old agenda of Jesus is to reject Babylon and all its ta- tactics and its techniques and the, the failures of that according to us, uh, God's law. And the media, based on the silicon chip and so on and so forth, designed to take us away from our spiritual journey, right? So they work in, they're in conflict with each other. Although God created the digital empire, it's been used against us. And I'm saying we need to take back control of that and get the control and use it for the benefit of mankind if that's what's going to happen. But of course, this is all to do with God's law. God's law isn't being used correctly. It's being run by people that aren't being honest. They're not being true. They're telling lies. And Jesus wants us to run it in a respectful way. The government, if it's not behaving appropriately, is to be challenged by God. And digital Jesus is challenging oppressive people and its systems. Digital is challenging God and Jesus is challenging the digital version of the government, right? The government and the powers that be, the Satanists, are using it as a way to try to enslave us and lock us down in hell on earth. But Jesus has a way. Find Jesus and we are set free. We've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about consumerism, the birth of TV, computers, automation and then leading to automation with electricity aka digital calculators leading also to digital and america during the war when they entered and world war ii whilst turin was working on a crack in the code for enigma the nazis were using arguably mechanical computers to collate data on those that were taken through the death camps. We talked about the censorship, um, the choice um, that having no say uh, in a hypocritical world governed by politicians that are increasingly belligerent and argumentative and shaming towards those that question their motives and decision making we talked about politicians laughing at us along the way and how they lie to protect ultimately a military industrial complex which is fast moving into a pharmaceutical complex we talked about the media 
and how mass media is creating a propaganda machine or rather has the division and separation that man women and child are being subjected to via race color sex and now more than ever their education and their political leaning uh, of course all this is tied into bread and circus which is the act of essentially making people feel like they're being looked after and that they're being entertained there's obviously an empire of fear in play and it's a direct attack on our freedoms the world if you take all of this into account and you tie it into the biblical narrative and the stories therein you will be hard pressed not to agree that we live in a fallen world and as such it is run by those that worship satan and their devil worshippers and this is going to perhaps sound far-fetched to some of you and others perhaps you've been having these very same thoughts yourself and now you may feel you're not alone and i find myself going about my daily business hoping to engage in conversations with with others on both sides of the belief system and the idea that somehow everybody has to sign up to my belief system is an impossibility however when we look at the biblical text the biblical narrative and certainly the lessons in the new testament and the the, the guidance of jesus and the warnings and the how-tos on how to live those are methods by which we could all agree on and fundamentally live in a in a much safer connected loving fearless world so the debate that has to be had is if jesus is offering that then why is the system going to so much trouble to dismantle that and it is because it's moving further away from the church i'm going to mention a few subjects really that i just want to get in because as i said we're going to talk about digital and how this affects adding to rather how this affects what's already been said about how our personal freedoms and our future is being attacked our freedoms essentially our voice yes our voice in this episode we will definitely explore further the digital domain and why it is so important in this claim that i have of it being the sole reason to head towards or rather one of the the mechanisms the machines that's taken us towards a totalitarian godless society which satanists just love the idea of they pray to satan for that to happen of course they have no idea what they're doing 
because they're probably hurt or looking to be made important, feel important, and they probably have a hierarchical system. Some people say it's the Freemasons. Some people call it Bohemian Grove. Others may refer to organisations that discuss and manipulate the future by their methodologies. The Bilderberg Group would be one of those. Uh, The Trilateral Commission. And there are a number of other bodies and organisations, including the United Nations, which stems from the League of Nations, that would ultimately give you a place to go to start doing some of your own homework. And what's it all about? Well, it's about pacifying people so we don't fight back. And in this, the Season 1, Episode 1, Introduction to Digital Jesus, Part 2, we are going to go down some rabbit holes and we're going to see what we come up with. First, what I want you to do is get a little bit more understanding of who am I. So I've already mentioned to you my name's David. People do refer to me in my normal life, which is my everyday life. In some cases, they refer to me as King David. And the reason behind that is from my first pastor. He referenced towards me as I entered the service one Sunday afternoon. He called out, hey, King David, King David's here. And everybody looked around and said, hey, King David. And in in the congregation, and I was, I was taken aback with that. I didn't, I will be completely honest with you, as I always aim to be. I was taken aback by that. Felt slightly embarrassed. But over the goodness of time, and my inquiries to my pastor as to why he called me King David, especially in front of everyone, I was pleasantly surprised and also in some way validated. Why? Because he said, David, you are a man after God's own heart. I'd already shared my testimony with my pastor And one day we'll have my pastor on a podcast to talk about perhaps his journey and where he sees the church and all of those questions that I'm hoping that you may want to be thinking about or are thinking about as well. Yeah, so he said, David, you're a man after God's own heart because in your testimony you talk about how you always believed in a God even though you were never saved and baptised and historically you was rejected from the Church of England, many churches, even though you tried to get a further insight into the inheritance that is waiting for you as proclaimed by Jesus himself and then the disciples moving forward, that throughout that whole journey of you seeking out Jesus you were rejected. But you wasn't rejected by Jesus or God. You was rejected by man. And worse still, you were rejected by man in the seat of the church. Which leads me to my ministry today. 
my ministry is around that disconnect between God and man. And you may have already listened to my episodes around the man and God's law, um, where we where I discuss with my sister different types of law and God's law. I would strongly recommend that you go and have a listen to that to get a deeper insight into where my head is at and and those of my fellow not just family members but Christians that are in my particular circle my close circle so there was a time in terms of my journey where I was introduced to many aspects of digital technology computers and of course this second half is is trying to focus on that digital pathway in the early 80s i was just leaving primary school and entering secondary school and i remember sitting down with a few friends we used to sit at their house while they played on their spectrum zx and i was confused as to why they had to keep loading that thing up as well just like with other computers i had an understanding of what the future may look like and I talked about this concept of having a screen where you could click on something and that would open up and then you could click on something inside that and then that would open up essentially I was talking about windows but I was talking about windows years before it even came into existence but the problem was I was born on the wrong side of the world or was I I'd seen a program a few years after that on the TV talking about Silicon Valley and I literally tried to get the money together to go out there and live and I spoke to my mum, I said I want to go to Silicon Valley and live and she said what do you want to go there for and I said because of computers you're not going she said you've got to finish school well that wasn't the first time my mum rejected my efforts to move into a different area of life uh, in terms of career or career choice many years later i got married and during that marriage i met several people in media and i'll talk about that later as well there's a lot to get through so i'm sorry it seems like i seem to keep bouncing everything until a later date but i'm trying to stay on track with this digital story I met a person who was at the forefront of developing Yahoo and Netscape. We had a meeting in London and we talked about the future of the internet. I also went to Bill Gates' book launch at the, the Dorchester, the Road to Nowhere, I believe it's called. And I sat on the table next to him and I just remember think, feeling some how I, I literally did feel he's a little bit weird this guy you know i'm sitting next to arguably he's the richest man in the world there certainly in terms of a consumer product that was being snapped up i just felt he was a little bit weird but anyway i'd had another experience try by trying to bring a, a media project to the public domain it was a project I called Talkback and it was designed for the London Underground Network and I spent about three months putting together a business plan and a, a, a proposal for installing a 
captive audience marketing platform by way of screens located on the escalator runs on the walls there and also big massive screens on the platform and I had this other element attached to it which was taking computer technology software mainly attaching it to the project and inventing a a a, a system called smart cards smart cards and as soon as you tap them to enter onto the system bearing in mind this was before what you have today it was a long time before opal cards or oyster cards or any kind of carnet system probably was a carnet paper system but certainly before the oyster um, cards in london so i had this whole system set up whereby you'd know who the person was you'd be able to track them and their data and mark it back to them looking back that was a bit bit intrusive but i wasn't looking at it from an intrusive position it wasn't data that was going to be stored and manipulated and sold on as apple have done and various other companies no it was a standalone project uh, product it was only licensed to the london underground network and it was to cover itself with through advertising revenue I'd already worked out that 1.1 billion people used the tube network. So it was a captive audience. It was a no-brainer. My wife at the time introduced me to a high-up executive in a major production company. And we sat down and we developed the product, uh, well, rather the pitch. And he said, I'll take it in there. I'll sell it. He got into a room. A few weeks later, I got a letter, a post phone call. And that was just to... clarify that it had been rejected on safety grounds before i went into that situation that whole meeting i was reassured that the nda that i signed with chrysalis tv and the nda that was signed with london underground would be solid for 10 years 10 years after the rejection letter to the day guess what happened yep they rolled out my project everything like word for word where you could imagine i was pretty gutted but what do you expect from a machine that's just designed to rip people off so i'm just trying to give you an idea of where i was in terms of my thinking i was always uh entrepreneurial in my thinking and around about that time i joined a small project it was it was happening in my local area they were they were looking for it was like a a sort of production company training course and they was it was open to five people from the local area and the way to get admitted was you had to develop a product and take it to market in theory and offer a practical course if you like a rather like a a set of steps that would take that product to that market and it had to be in the field of media. So I developed a product. It was like it was a battle of the bands. It was, and it was it covered TV, radio, um, and also you were able to vote on it real time using telephone and text, which was just come in at that time. And it was it was a, a kind of talent show that everybody was allowed to vote on and get involved in. So I got rejected from the course. And about a year later, guess what came to the market? Yep, 
Britain's Got Talent or whatever it was, that show before there, The Voice or something. I can't remember what it's called. The one with Simon Cowell, right? I forget because it's not that important because Simon Cowell's not important and nor are these people that ripped off my ideas. What's important is that I'm sharing with you that I have had these ideas and they've been, you could say, that, oh no, there's celestial ideas and it's whoever pulls them out of the air first gets to talk about them as if they created them first. Yeah, I, I could even go along with that uh, to some extent and say we've never had an, um, an original thought in our lives that God is essentially the one that has all the ideas and he just uses some of us or some of us pluck them out of the air and run with them. But the point is, that these ideas were not just plucked out and talk about over a few pints and over a piss-up in a local pub. No, these were things that were put down on paper, developed by me and offered to people in the industry that then went on to rip them off and produce them on the market and make a lot of people very wealthy. So this is my pedigree, okay? But I will not give up. And I'm not after money or fame. I'm just after the truth and to have some fun along the way. And I like creating. So I'm going to take you on this little journey now around digital. Why is digital so important? As I said already, it's a medium by which our voice and our access to it and our spirituality is being attacked. So let's start with Turing. Alan Turing, the mathematician the computer scientist, the logician, the cryptanalysis, the philosopher and theoretical biologist. Now, his concepts of algorithm and computation, Turing, spelled T-U-R-I-N-G, is widely considered to be the father of theoretical computer science and artificial intelligence. It's a very sad story, actually, but also... He got redeemed in some sense, but in my mind, no. It was cruel what the British establishment did to this man. They put him in this uh, position of trying to crack the Enigma machine. And he was a standalone person. He was given a team, but essentially he stood out and he he stepped up and he said, look, I'm going to develop a machine that's going to crack this. And it's going to take some time, but just go with me. Well, he didn't. But he he continued anyway. The story says that he actually went up to Winston Churchill and sought permission from him to proceed as the gaffer on this effort to crack the Enigma code. Long story short, he did. Along the way, there was a bit of espionage thrown in of people around him. And you can imagine that the British government were up to no good selling parts of the information or passing it over to Russia and so on and so forth. Turns out Turing was not openly gay, but they found out. And in those days it was illegal. So they tried him for homosexuality and he was offered prison or chemical castration. He went for the chemical castration. Appalling, appalling, appalling. And then he committed suicide a short while after. It was claimed that it was by cyanide poisoning. And 
there's a dispute around that as well. That actually that wasn't the case. That it was suspect. Suspect, yeah. So whilst the Germans were over in Auschwitz using mechanical computers and they had Enigma, which was arguably a mechanical computer, Turing was putting electricity with mechanics and he came up with digital, aka computers. That is my interpretation. And just to round that off, he actually ended up on uh, the £50 note. Uh, in 2020, they put him on the UK £50 note because in 2009, was it, when Gordon Brown was the Prime Minister, he and the Queen gave him, uh, Queen gave him a royal pardon. They rescinded the charges against him and he was given his rightful status back as a non-criminal but what they did to him was criminal so he got a pardon but along the way they put him on this 50 pound note i guess to say hey look how great he is but at the time they didn't think he was so great when they were literally cutting his bollocks off were they talk about uh, emasculation so some of his quotes It seems probable that once the machine-thinking method has started, it would not take long to outstrip our feeble powers. He said during a lecture in 1951, they would be able to converse with each other to sharpen their wits. At some stage, therefore, we should have to expect the machines to take control. Ooh, very, very ominous, right? And he went on to make many quotes along those lines. He had a belief that machines would ultimately control people. Now, the digital culture, and I'm going to use a bit of Wikipedia here so that anyone can go and track this information that I'm talking about. There is a thing in there called the digital divide. And if you open that up and arrive at its page, you will find this piece of information. Digital divide refers to the gap who are to benefit from the digital age and those who are not. People without access to the internet and other information and communication technologies are put at a disadvantage as they are unable or less able to obtain digital information, shop online, participate democratically, or learn and offer skills. This resulted in programs to give computers and related services to people without access. Since the 1990s, potent global movements, including a series of intergovernmental summit meetings, were conducted to close the digital divide. Since then, this movement formulated solutions in public policy technology design, finance and management that would allow all connected citizens to benefit equitably as a global digital economy spreads into the far corners of the world population. Now, how do I interpret that? Well, they want to bring a digital financial system to the world and they want everyone to be on it. That's basically what they're saying. So it's about bringing everyone up to that level. And 
They need to roll out a system that's going to be able to cater for that. They need a network. They need a network that covers everywhere, every inch of planet Earth, and they need everyone to be able to connect to it. They have an issue with getting people legitimized because in many countries around the world, it's impossible for their populations to gain access to bank accounts because they can't prove who they are. Because the systems in other than the West, they don't have those uh, admiral laws. They don't have birth certificates. They don't have a legal system which allows them, that, that affords them the opportunity to be a part of a legal system. So therefore, they don't exist. Now that might be a concept too difficult for too many to grasp. Why? Because the idea that unless you have a birth certificate, you're not legitimized just seems far-fetched. Well, it's not. Because from maritime law comes the birth certificate. And it's not just a birth certificate, it's your contract into law. And if you are a freeman, you have found out that whenever you go to a court and you... Uh, try to stand alone and outside of the illegal system, you get rejected. That's because you can't go into their house and tell them that you're not meant to be in their house. They've got you by the short and curlies, really. So sticking to digital, digital divide. So we've had a little bit of that. And if we go down, this is Wikipedia. You can look it up. Though originally coined to refer merely to the matter of access, who is connected to the internet and isn't, the term digital divide has evolved to focus on the division between those who benefit from information and communications technologies and those who don't. Thus, the aim of closing the digital divide now refers to efforts to provide meaningful access to internet infrastructures, applications and services. The matter of closing the digital divide nowadays includes a matter of how emergent technologies such as artificial intelligence, AI, so-called AI for development or AI 4D, four-dimensional, robotics and the Internet of Things. And the Internet of Things, of course, is everything, like what, how your car, uh, speaking to your car, your refrigerator, your watch, your telephone, anything that has a chip in it and can be communicated with is considered now on the substructure of the internet of things and it's become clear that the internet can harm as well as help citizens the focus of closing the digital divide had the focused on the matter of how to generate net benefit optimal help minimal harm as a result of the impact of a spreading digital economy the divide between different countries or regions of the world is referred to as the global digital divide Examining this technological gap between developing and developed countries on an international scale, the divide within countries such as the digital divide in the United States may refer to inequalities between individuals, households, businesses or geographic areas, usually at different socio-economic levels or other demographic categories. Mm, the flock thickens. Let's move on. We have some other 
interesting connections to the word of digital okay so we have this thing called digitalism now digitalism is used to mean the condition of living in the digital culture it's actually derived from Nicholas's Necrofonte's book being digital in analogy with modernity and postmodernity. And the overview of this is that aspects of digitality include nearly continuous contact with other people through cell phones, near instantaneous access to information through the World Wide Web, third wave information storage, where any fragment in a text can be searched and used for categorization, such as through search engine Google or or Google for other or or even what you send, you know, as a message to somebody else by a third party platform. Perhaps even your own messaging system that Apple owns that's to be debated. And communicating through web blogs and email. Now some of the negative aspects of digital Digitality include computer viruses and spam. That's pretty commonplace. We know that. With the rapid growing technology, children at increasingly younger ages are learning to speak through the cyber world rather than in face-to-face conversation. They're becoming more digitally literate and creating a new culture in which they communicate more efficiently online than they do in person. Actually, had a thought about that the other day is wouldn't it be interesting if that's why they're so comfortable wearing masks at such a young age these kids now during this you know mask nazi thing that's going on i actually had a brief conversation with a kid the other day uh through through um through a work situation when i asked them why are you wearing a mask they said oh because i trust you know i trust that i should and I think back to when I was a kid and if like uh, my sister wanted to wear a particular outfit age 12 and 13 and my mum would uh, swear that she wasn't allowed to and she's never allowed to wear that. Well, that didn't stop my sister. She'd just take the clothes to her friend's house and get changed there on the way to school, right? Kids found the way out. If, and I rejected authority to a certain extent and I, I for one feel that's quite a healthy thing. Yes, have respect and be considerate of others and and also the laws and so on. But it's not, you know, things aren't always as clear-cut and straightforward. But it seems like children are very quick to wear these things. And I'm wondering, well, they already isolated themselves anyway by this internet and internet relationship and this detached from their peers groups in terms of face-to-face behavior it's a detachment uh all, all too often before these whole lockdown situations you'd see a group of kids out and none of them would be talking to each other and the same with adults as well but it was it's surprising that it gets to people at such a young age now because children would sit around as i'm saying in groups but they'd be texting each other and they'd be talking about their texts that are sent each other i'm sure we've all done it but it's an increasingly common thing amongst children so they're computing uh they're communicating more via their computers instead of face to face and digitalism plays an important uh, an important part in the development of well life really at the moment because the effects of interactivity with information began to be written and published particularly focused on the immediacy and ubiquity of digital communications 
and the interactivity and participatory nature of digital media. While in the tradition of postmodernism, in that they presume a, deci- a decisive role for media in the formation of personality, culture and social order. They differ fundamentally from the analogue critical theory in that the audience has the ability to do more than create a personal ideolectic text, but instead is able to create new text which reinforce the behaviour of other participants. This made it possible to individuals to express themselves through interactivity of digital media. Many works have been written outlining the fear of digitality. In the 1990s, the realisation of digitality caused many artists to visualise and fear a future where analogue would become completely extinct. They viewed digitalization as a deletion of the past. Interesting in this sudden introduction of cancel culture, right? Interesting. The deletion of the past. Wanting to get rid of all the statues, get rid of the history, make those who are in the present pay reparations for actions of others of others in the past based on based on colour of a skin, for instance. Ridiculous. And although the computer was originally created to complete large-scale computations, it ultimately progressed into a processor machine that could retrieve and interpret information very quickly. The first personal computer was introduced by Ed Roberts in 1975, and, and it sparked the introduction of other personal computers. And as technology continued to advance more and more, intelligent computers were coming to light with stronger processing power and a wider range of utilities. This new technology led to the invention of the World Wide Web by Tim Berners-Lee in 1990, which revolutionised the modern world. People were able to more commonly access a data pool online with a trove of information. Oh... This information is now easily accessible from a smartphone which can connect people from anywhere, anytime. Just like you're listening to me now, you're you're on one of several mediums, right? Your smartphone, your laptop, you're probably even your TV now because it's smart TV. Who knows, in your car, through your DAB radio, through your Spotify account. There's countless ways that you can interact with media and information now. So, in the 21st century, digital technology plays an important role. In the United States, for instance, nearly two-thirds of people own smartphones. Using social networking services and online forums, people are able to communicate with other users, regardless of geographic region or time constraints. This rise of this type of interaction partly explains a significant increase in phone use in younger people. And mobile technology is mainly used for the purposes of communication. Digitalism is also slowly replacing many forms of physical aids, such as print encyclopedias and dictionaries, with people turning to newer technology for various needs. In Negroponte's book, he explains how necessities in the future will be digitised. For example, a large portion of mass media. Well, that's already happened, hasn't it? And a large percentage of financial tra- transactions, well, that's already happening, certainly without the physical exchange of money, e.g. online shopping. 
Computation is frequently discussed in debates on digitality. Modern theorists are now choosing to focus more on our relation to computers rather than the computers themselves as an important element of digitality. What does that mean, actually? Let's just revisit that sentence, okay? Computation is frequently discussed, right? So they're always looking at ways, when I say they, we know they are, always looking at ways to develop new ways to cut down labour-saving tasks, okay? So modern theorists are now choosing to focus more on our relation to computers. So to be able to enhance and rather take advantage of that which they have created, they need people to connect to it. So there's a focus on our relation to computers rather than the computers themselves as an important element of digitality. So it's what happens on a computer rather than a computer. Because back in the day when computers were all, you know, new state-of-the-art, everyone wanted one, and I myself remember being around my friend who got one and saying, well, what does it do? And he said, oh, it doesn't work like that. It only does what you tell it to. And I just couldn't get my head around that. Well, it must do something, I said. Surely it does something. He said, well, I can, we can make your name up and print it off. <laughs> well, things haven't really moved on in 10 years, have they? Since that story I told you about when the... Well, I think it was BASIC or FORTRAN, that language that I explained that the teacher introduced us to in school. So for in my mind, things hadn't really moved on too far, but we're talking about the middle of the 80s, the 1980s, right? So things have obviously come on. Now, digital, social media um, also plays a part, right? So it's, it plays a massive part, as does education, so does intercultural intercultural communication it's an important part of globalization in the past intercultural communication was made difficult because of the distance separating different cultures however with modern day technology and digitality it has become increasingly possible to interact and learn about other cultures in an environment where people can openly speak this interaction allows for people to compare and reflect upon both their own and different cultures. The internet creates platforms and forums where people from different backgrounds can develop intercultural communication skills and gain a cross-cultural abundance of knowledge. With the digitality of religious texts and cultural meetings, it is increasingly feasible to be submerged in a culture or religion without the need to travel to the source. Very easy to roll out culture, whatever that culture is, if you know how to do it. Which brings me nicely to game theory. Game theory is the study of mathematical models of strategic interaction among rational decision makers. It has applications in all fields of social science as well as in logic, system science and computer science. Originally, it addressed zero-sum games in which each participant's gains or losses are exactly balanced by those of the other participants. In the 21st century, game theory applies to a wide range of behavioural relations, and this is now an umbrella term for the science of logical decision-making in humans, animals and computers. Can you believe that there are people out in the world, out in the world there that their sole job is to map out game theory 
yeah collective behavior networks evolution and adaptation pattern formation systems theory and non-linear dynamics modern game theory began with the idea that mixed strategy equilibria in two person zero-sum games and it's proof by john van newman John von Neumann's original proof used the Brewer fixed point theorem on continuous mappings in co into context convex sets, which essentially means that you can contain what's being said, what's happening, what will be essentially the various outcomes. That became a standard method in game theory and mathematical economics. His paper was followed by of theory of games and economic behavior it considered cooperative games of several players von Neumann and Morgenstern wrote that in 1944 which is a number that keeps coming up isn't it addition of the book provided an axiomatic theory of expected utility which allowed mathematical statisticians and economists to treat decision making under certainty whoa that's pretty cool isn't it with only about 10 minutes to go it seems like i might try and get us to the end of a, a point of contention here so game theory was developed extensively in the 1950s by many scholars it was explicitly applied to evolution in the 70s although similar developments go back at least as far as the 1930s game theory has been widely recognised as an important tool in many fields. As of 2014, with the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences going to game theorist John Tyrrell, 11 game theorists have won the Economics Nobel Prize. Wow. John Maynard Smith was awarded the Crayford Prize for the application of evolutionary game theory. Game theory, okay? So... You imagine that any situation that occurs on Earth now, long play, short play, medium term play event, can be mapped out and, if you like, war gamed. So they can figure out all different outcomes, A scenario, B scenario. The game theory, probability and chance, as I understand it, was pioneered by John Nash in the 1950s. And there are some fundamentals involved. There have to be rules and punishments and all players are to be rational. Any interaction between multiple people in which each person's payoff is affected by the decisions made by others. And there are two sides to the theories. There's the cooperative and the non-cooperative. The cooperative is a contribution benefit type game um, it has a shapely value and the non-cooperative competitive is competitive there are winners and losers there's a there's a an example called the prisoner's dilemma uh, and it's it states that if there are two prisoners involved in a robbery and they get caught on the way back from it and there's enough evidence piled up they split the two prisoners up uh, once they get them back to the station for questioning and they tell them that if they tell on each other then they will be able to get immunity of course they don't know if 
what the other person's doing. So it comes down to trust, really. How well do they know each other? Because if they say nothing, then it's a likelihood that they'll both get off. But if they both testify against each other, then they could actually both end up prosecuting each other and ending up with a longer term. So how it works out, and you can Google this, is that it turns out that the best course of nature, which I believe is called the Nash Equilibrium, is that they both tell on each other. How does this fit into what's going on in the middle in the modern world? Well, it, it shows that there is a way to determine a defined amount of solutions to a problem and to guide people in a direction they don't necessarily want to go. How? By giving them essentially several carrots on a string and asking them to pick the shorter one. And the shorter one is always going to have the worst payoff. Why? Because the system's rigged. So game theory is a perfect tool to use to map out the future of society. Why? Because then they've got a win-win situation and those of us in society have a lose-lose situation. Systems science is a part of this because what it does is it takes all the elements of society, that's their needs, uh, the individuals, their means, um, the, the parts of the society and the wholes as well, meaning H, sorry, W-H-O-L-E-S. A, a game theorist will take the system science and it will import that into its modelling. What is system science? Well, it's an interdisciplinary field that studies the nature of systems from simple to complex in nature, society, cognition, aka the thinking, uh, engineering, technology and science, science itself. To system scientists, the world can be understood as a system of systems. The field aims to develop interdisciplinary foundations that are applicable in a variety of areas, such as psychology, biology, medicine, communication, business management, technology, computer science, engineering and, yep, you guessed it, social sciences formal sciences such as complex systems cybernetics dynamical systems theory information theory linguistics or systems theory it has applications in the field of natural and social sciences and engineering such as control theory that's a very important one control theory how to control something someone a group society right systems design how to design the parts of system to create the control operations research how to find out what isn't isn't working in the attempt to design the systems to create control you see where we're going with this now right the element of control and enslavement of the population right down to your very thoughts and feelings and your decision making the two things God gave you, a spirit or Holy Spirit, and he gave you choice. And this is aimed at the heart of that, destroying your spiritual path and removing the illusion or rather providing you the illusion you have choice, but taking away your choice all the while. So, Control theory, systems design, operations research, social systems theory, which is what I just spoke about, systems biology, that's to do with our body, our physical system, 
system dynamics, human factors, systems ecology, computer science, apps and the computer programming, the monitoring, the listening, etc. Systems engineering and systems psychology. Anything you can think about right now at some point that's going on in your life has been or will be either created or manipulated by somebody that is in the chain of command developing these systems, these scientific systems that are being rolled out on the basis of the study that game theory has put it through. Why? Because they want to know eventual outcomes. So they, they figure out all the potential outcomes. I'll give you a scenario. Mask mandates, right? So, or rather, take COVID-19, right? Pandemic. So, there is no virus. Well, at least they make one. But it's not as transmutable as they say it is. So, they announce a pandemic. And then they tell you that you need to be vaccinated to be protected against it. But actually what happens when you get vaccinated, you get the very symptoms that then corroborate the concept that there is a pandemic because they've now given it to enough people to declare a pandemic. So in the first instance, they lie about a pandemic to force you to add the vaccination to create the symptoms to back up the fact that there is a pandemic. Then the pandemic exists. And along the way, they try out a few different things. Like They're like, oh, you need to wear masks to stop it. Although the World Health Organization and various other scientists have said a virus doesn't, you can't catch a virus. And also, a mask is not going to protect you. In fact, it's going to make you worse because you're going to be reconstituting all of your uh, you know, carbon dioxide that you're meant to be getting rid of. So it's going to make you more ill. Also, it's going to cut you out from your relationship with oxygen, which hemostasis depends on it because your blood needs to be oxygenated because it's inside your blood that you create a healthy uh, immune system because that's where you process vitamins, oxygen, you separate the, the nutrients that are inside oxygen to be able to nutri- um, supply nutrients to your body and all your organs and so forth. So wearing a mask is actually really dangerous especially when they're telling you that the risk of catching it uh this so-called covid uh like 0.003 percent in a population but and also your survival rate is 98 percent. it's like you're, it's more likely you're going to win the lottery while crossing the road and getting hit by a falling jumbo jet right that's the odds of it you catching it so they tell you this thing, you know it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't matter because they're carrying out game theory. They're going through processes to figure out what steps they're going to make and what they're going to do next. So they've already planned it out. They've planned out what they're going to do to all the people that just go along with it and what they're going to do to all the people that don't go along with it. Well, they're going to introduce more laws. They're going to introduce more regulations. They're going to talk more rubbish on the multi on the mass media that they control. And they're going to send out more messages through the social networks. They're going to infiltrate the kids through education. And so you get where I'm going, right? So they have a plan. It doesn't matter which way you turn because they're using system science and game theory to, yep, you guessed it, plan your future and decide where they're going to take you next. It's pure manipulation and control. 
So I wish I could go on here, but I'm going to have to pause it there and we're going to have to end part two here. But hopefully I've given you a more of an insight now to take you on to part three where we will look at some more damning uh, evidence that proves that we live in a world where there is a growing attack on our freedoms and our relationship with a spiritual path and more damagingly our ability to communicate with each other and share our findings so stay tuned for part three been a pleasure having you here for part two i'll see you on the other side god bless digital jesus digital jesus digital jesus Jesus. Digital Jesus. Digital Jesus.